You know, the Christian life is a lifelong journey. It is not just an arrival. So this has been called one of the greatest rescue missions of World War II. So late in the war, Americans were sent to a dangerous part of southern Europe, and um, these uh, tin cans, these planes were sent to try and bomb the energy supply for the Nazis. But it was super dangerous, and many, many, many of the fighter pilots were shot down. And as they were parachuting um, out, uh, oftentimes they would float into Yugoslavia, which was Nazi territory. But what would happen is there were Serbian um, 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 people who were waiting for them that were uh, peasants. They were peasants, they weren't soldiers, but they were not on the side of the Nazis. And they were waiting, they would watch and they would track them. And their number one goal was to go and to rescue the flyboys before the Nazis got to them. And so here were uh, these airmen, American airmen, and these Serbian peasants actually rescued over 500, all of them actually, all of our soldiers that were shot down in Yugoslavia. Now, here's the fascinating kind of subplot to this story. Um, so our soldiers were shot down. They were rescued initially by these Serbian um, peasants. But the problem was they were still on an, in, in enemy territory. They were on enemy soil. So they weren't completely rescued at this point. They actually ended up having a very long journey to get them to the rendezvous point in which they would be evacuated. And so they had to trust these Serbian rescuers where there was a huge language barrier. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't even close to English. Like there was not, this was not easy to overcome. And so they had to trust the path, the pace, all of their care into these foreign hands. But in spite of the, of the peasants saving them from their enemy, they had a long journey ahead of them. That journey had actually just begun, and they still had to walk to freedom. So the story of this special rescue operation, it sheds light on the important spiritual reality that we face. To be rescued from something sets us on a path toward something. To be rescued from something sets us on a path toward something else. For the airmen, it was a journey of survival. But for us, it's a journey of faith. The one who saved us is now calling us to walk. Y'all, it's non-negotiable. Though snatched from spiritual death, we soon discover that the Christian life isn't an arrival, it's an adventure. That Christ rescues us and then he points to the path of following him. So as promised, we are kicking off this year with a focus on discipleship. And we see that discipleship work as a journey. So last year, a special task force from our vision team worked most of last year to put, get, to put together a discipleship-making system that we're going to spend this year introducing to you. 
we're going to spend this year implementing. Because to do it well, to do it well takes time. It's not something we can just snap our fingers and we're all just doing perfectly. But today we begin officially talking about taking your next steps, a discipleship journey. So before I read our scripture for this morning, I want to do a couple of other things to set the foundation. I want to remind us of our vision statement here at Boone UMC, which was the guiding inspiration of all of this discipleship work. Boone United Methodist Church believes God is calling us to this, and I invite you to read it with me, that we are becoming deeply transformed disciples who live for the transformation of hearts, the church, our community, and the world. So as you look at these words and let them kind of seep into your mind, notice that the aspirational hope is ultimately about discipleship. That future snapshot is that we are Jesus-following disciples, but not just any run-of-the-mill disciples, that we are transformed, that we are different, that we are changed. Not only that we are changed, but that we are also change agents that make a difference to help transform the world around us. We act, we look, we feel different because of what Jesus has done for us. So our team looked at this snapshot of a preferred future and we realized, y'all, we don't just arrive at this uh, transformation. We get there little by little. It is a journey, it's a big journey that is comprised of little steps. Like the soldiers who found themselves rescued by the Serbians initially, it was still a long journey of trust and transformation for them to get to their final destination, which was home. And so I want to share with you a few of our guiding principles that our team used to set the foundation for what we believe is most important for any discipleship journey. This is just a few of them. First of all, discipleship is not a program, it's a process. It's a process of spiritual formation. So we're not even, we're not, we're not gonna attend a class or a workshop and leave transformed disciples. We're not gonna take a six week class and read a book and become miraculously transformed disciples. It will be an ongoing work that for many of us, we've actually neglected it for far too long. It will be something that we can work on together, but it's also going to be something that requires some individual work as well. And we recognize from the start that none of us are on the same place in our spiritual journey. And it's okay that we have different starting points today. Because some of us are brand new to a spiritual relationship with Jesus. Some of us aren't new to a relationship, but we haven't really moved that far off of our original starting point. And for others of us, we're not near the beginning of our spiritual trail. We've been working on this for a long time. And we've made our way down the trail just a bit. But please hear me say that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, it's neither good nor bad, right or wrong. It is simply where you are, and that's okay. The 
problem is, though, if a year from now you're at the very same place on your spiritual journey, then that would be a sign that you are neglecting your relationship with Jesus or that you're going through a very difficult time, spiritually speaking. But our goal this year is to help all of us figure out what is our next step and then to actually begin to take it. But first, we recognize that every journey, every journey has an originating starting point. And for Christians, our beginning starts at our baptism. And that's what I want us to spend the rest of our time on this morning, thinking about and reflecting on and remembering. So I invite you to hear the gospel according to Matthew, followed by a lesson from Paul in his letter to the Romans. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. At that time, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River so that John would baptize him. John tried to stop him and said, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me? Jesus answered, allow me to be baptized now. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, he immediately came up out of the water. Heaven was opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God coming down like a dove and resting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I dearly love. I find happiness in him. Then from Romans 6, verses 3 through 14. Or don't you know that all who are baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried together with him through baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. If we were united together in a death like his, we will also be united together in a resurrection like his. This is what we know. The person that we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. That way, we wouldn't be slaves to sin anymore because a person who has died has been freed from sin's power. But if we died with Christ, we have faith that we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. He died to sin once and for all with his death. But he lives for God with his life. In the same way, you also should consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive for God in Christ Jesus. So then don't let sin rule your body so that you do what it wants. Don't offer parts of your body to sin, to be used as weapons to do wrong. Instead, present yourselves to God as people who have been brought back to life from the dead and offer all the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do right. Sin will have no power over you because you aren't under law, but under grace. This is God's word for all God's people. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me?
We know that our spiritual life is on a constant journey. So Lord, may your word this morning prepare us for new possibilities and to help us bear fruit in your name. Amen. Family was driving home from church one Sunday afternoon. After a particularly wonderful worship experience, they were happily talking about a friend who had been baptized and they were so proud of him and just celebrated that ceremony. When the three-year-old daughter finally asked, what is baptism? And the five-year-old brother chimed in immediately, oh, baptism, that's when the pastor washes away all of your senses. And sometimes I wonder if God doesn't wish that both our sins and our sins were washed away um, in our baptism because then it really would be a clean slate that we might be starting with. But baptism is one of those topics, we talk about it several times a year because it is so important to our spiritual journey. It's exciting when we get to baptize a baby or an adult here in the sanctuary or each spring at the river when we go uh, baptize some of the members of our confirmation class of sixth graders. But I wonder, do we really understand what is happening at baptism? Do we understand what happened at our own baptism? So we heard two texts read this morning. One of, the, one of them is the actual baptism of Jesus. The other is a lesson from Paul about the meaning and purpose of baptism for Christians. Paul makes the argument that baptism is a participation in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We'll unpack that a little bit more here in a minute. But I want us to think about what our own practice of baptism holds in common with Jesus' baptism. First of all, Jesus became something he wasn't after his baptism. It was the beginning of his public ministry. He became official, publicly blessed, and recognized. And so are we. Christians are baptized in the name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity was present at Jesus' baptism. Did you catch that when you heard the scripture read? Because this is one of the few times we see portrayed in scripture um, this Trinitarian presence of God. It was the voice of God, the personhood of Jesus, and the descending of the Holy Spirit like a dove. Thirdly, Christian baptism is a matter of our obedience and receiving the Holy Spirit. Jesus, who did not have to be baptized in order to forgive his sins or his sins, he had committed to cho- and chose to be obedient to this baptism, this practice that would connect him, unite him to all Christians. And he chose to do it out of his own obedience to God. But at the same time, he also received the presence of the Holy Spirit. Fourth and finally, Christians are declared to be children of God. We become part of the universal beloved Christian family at our baptism. Jesus was also declared God's beloved son. So I admit to you that I'm not sure I noticed all of these commonalities between our baptism and Jesus's before. And I can't tell you how many times I've preached this scripture passage. But while I understand theologically how important our baptism is to unite us to Jesus, I appreciate more deeply um, this common experience that uh, we actually share with Jesus. And that makes it feel even more important and personally special to me. 
So I want to circle back to Paul's a bit more complex teaching uh, around in Romans to understand why we look at baptism as a starting point on a discipleship journey. So Paul works hard to explain that our baptism connects us to Jesus because it symbolically represents our experiencing Jesus' death and resurrection. So when you think about the visual of an immersion baptism, it's like being buried with Jesus in the tomb under the water, but then rising out of the water is like being resurrected with Jesus on Easter Day. But here's the thing. This means that we believe that we too have overcome death and sin and that we live into the promise of eternal life with Christ because those are the promises that happen at Easter, right? This new life in Christ doesn't begin when we die. It begins at our baptism. As believers and Christians, we are given the promise of this resurrection of the body of eternal life that Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the tomb three days later delivers. Has this sunk in yet? That if we believe that the promises are true, that believers are given new and eternal life with Christ because of his death on the cross, which conquered sin, and his resurrection from the tomb, which conquered death. If we believe we too can conquer sin through the grace of Christ, not our own doing, and we can conquer death through the love of God and this eternal promise, then when does eternal life begin? It doesn't just begin when we die. It begins when we are baptized. This saving, challenging, liberating, loving journey begins when we are baptized. This entry into new life. Much like the soldiers were initially saved from the danger of the Nazis, the rescue from danger was not one and done. I love the way Colette ended the children's blessing by saying, now the rescue has begun. <clears throat> So they would travel together, they would get to that rescue rendezvous to return home. But this metaphor also works as a reminder that our baptism is the starting point and it certainly isn't the ending point. At our baptism we are rescued from the one thing um, which in turn sets us on a path towards something else. We're rescued from sin and we are set on a path of discipleship of Jesus. We embark on a journey, a transforming journey. So we live our lives now as children of God and inheritors of the promise of Christ. And that, that is what is at the heart of our personal transformation. And I'm just not sure that all of us have fully embraced and accepted the promises that are given to us at our baptism. And that's why we take the opportunity every year to remember our baptism so we can relive that important moment in our lives when we received the gift of grace and our eternal life. When we remember that at the heart of it all is God's grace that walks through us during our earthly journey that helps us take our next steps, that 
protects us from the temptation of sin that shapes and transforms us into mature and fruit-bearing disciples of Jesus Christ who really do live for the transformation of hearts, our community, the church, and the world. That is what we will continue to talk about in the coming weeks in more detail. We'll explore what it looks like. How can we participate in this and grow and mature in this discipleship? How can we fully experience the depth of God's grace in our lives? But for now, for this morning, for this moment, I simply invite you to remember your starting point. Do you remember when the Holy Spirit laid claim to you as a child of God? Whether you were baptized as an infant or a teenager or in your confirmation experience or maybe as an adult, whether it was just a few years ago or so long ago, you can't remember it. Whether it was in a pool or a river or a lake or in a sanctuary, whether it was by immersion or pouring or sprinkling of water on your head, we want you to remember what God has done for you and what God is continuing to offer you. And so this is how it will work this morning. In a moment, I'll invite you to join me in our liturgy, which will help us reaffirm our faith, to remember promises that we made at some point along our faith journey. And then you'll be invited to come forward to remember your baptism at this baptismal font. By the way, if you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I've never been baptized before, what do I do? You're invited to come forward regardless, to experience this opportunity to be invited into this gift of grace, to be invited into receiving these eternal promises. And if you feel so moved, let the Holy Spirit move within you. Everyone is welcome to come and experience the water. But I invite everyone else to join me in remembering your baptism and reaffirming your faith.